Right, well, I was sitting down, now I'm standing up. Stand up, if you're able to stand up. Okay, so this is sport, so we've got to have a little bit of physical exercise. Stand up if you've played any form of sport in the last year. Okay? Any form of sport. Right, now stay standing. Now can you stand up and join those already standing up if you've ever played sport in your life? That could be at school, in the boys' brigade, table tennis competition. I think everybody's standing up, but just in case I've missed anybody. And also join those standing up if you've ever watched sport at any level on, on a touchline or whether you've watched some of the Olympics or football. I think everybody's standing up, aren't they? Okay, thank you very much. Please sit down. Now, I guess I could have done that. Can you put the, uh, start putting the PowerPoint out? Thank you. Just the first, the first one. I guess I could have done that with other things like, I don't know, music or something like that. But I think that does show, doesn't it, how sport is all around us. How we've either played sport, engaged in sport at one level or another. Which is why we want to think about it this evening. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to speak about what is sport, because that's a question you maybe have never actually considered. You might think, well, I know what sport is. Well, well, do we? What, what is sport? So I want to unpack that a little bit. Then I'm going to look at what the Bible has to say about sport. It doesn't have a lot to say, but there's some stuff in here about sport. And then thirdly, I want us to consider how we as Christians engage in sport. And I've got a few suggestions how I suggest that we do that. So under what is sport, could you just put up the first, uh, first quotation, please? Hey, there we are. I hope you can see that. What I know most surely about the duty of a man I owe to sport. Albert Camus, French philosopher. What a, what a wonderful, noble thought that is, isn't it? What I, what I know about the duty of man I owe to sport. He probably didn't speak like that because he had a French accent, but anyway. Uh, second quote, put that one up. The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, but taking part. Baron Pierre de Coubertin, founder of the Olympic committee. Uh, now, some of you will have heard that before. My sons will smile now when I say this, but ever since they've started playing sport, whenever they've gone out to play football or cricket or rugby or, or athletics, I'll, I'll look them in the eye and I'll say, son, and remember, it's not the taking part, it's the winning that counts. <laughs> because as noble as that sounds... I've yet to find a professional or elite athlete who say, yeah, yeah, we just want to take part today. We're just turning up. We're just making up the numbers. Winning, who wants to win? Oh, Olympic Games, I get the sentiment behind it, and you can disagree with me on this, but they're there because actually they want to win. They wouldn't have got there in the first place if they weren't winners in their own right, in their own countries. Or regions. But anyway, a noble thought as well. And then thirdly, one of my favourite writers, George Orwell, said this. Serious sport has nothing to do with fair play. It is bound up with hatred, jealousy, boastfulness and disregard of all the rules. And he wasn't writing that in 2023. He was writing that sometime about 100 odd years ago. So if you think it's just today we have all that... It's always been there. So there we have the good, the bad, and the ugly, maybe, of sport. But what is sport? 
Well, let's, let's start by, by talking about the area of, next slide please, play. You'll notice when I asked, has anybody played sport? That's the phrase we use, isn't it? We play cricket, play football. St. John's, we played cricket, didn't we, in the summer? Where's Stephen? Didn't we? We played cricket. You didn't stand up front and say, who wants to work cricket today? Who wants to do cricket? It was, we play cricket. We play cricket. We play sport. So it's in the whole area of play that we find sport. So what's play then? Before we get into sport, let's think a little bit about play. First of all, play is natural. We all do it. We do it as children. From an early age, kids play, don't they? Sorry if this sounds a little bit sexist, but you've probably heard it said that what's the difference between a man and a boy? It's just that the toys are more expensive when you become a man. We play throughout our lives. Animals play. Cats play. Dogs play. Mice play. Apparently, Francis of Assisi loved animals, didn't he? The only animals he didn't like were ants because they didn't play. They were worker ants the whole time. So ants aside, then, all animals play, and we play as well. It's very natural for us to do it. Secondly, it's fun, isn't it? It's fun to play. It's not serious. And in fact, when it gets serious, the fun kind of stops, doesn't it? Play is about having fun. I'm smiling because we enjoy playing. Next one. It's an expression of freedom. We don't have to do it. We don't have to do it, but we do. We run around, we enjoy ourselves. Fourthly, it's unnecessary, which kind of fits in with this, but play is unnecessary. Now, you can pick the bones out of this, and I want, I want to challenge us a little bit in how we think, but, but it's unnecessary in the sense that it, it doesn't add to the GDP of a country. It doesn't bring in the harvest or anything like that. Now, of course, there's side effects to play. When children play, you know, there's physical side effects, there's, there's physical improvement, there's mental health. But, but in that sense, it's not, it's not actually necessary. And fifthly, and this is where I bring in just a think about sport. I don't know if you realize this, but the etymology of the word sport comes from disport, to carry in the Latin portare, and apart. So sport, and indeed play, is something that is apart from, aside from the kind of seriousness of life. Think again back to your school days. You know, you'd be sitting in, I certainly was, you'd be sitting in school and it'd be just getting to the lunch break and you'd like be sitting there ready to close your books up and then you could rush out and play. Because that's what you wanted to do. And you laid aside all, the, all your kind of maths and your, your physics and your science and all that sort of stuff. That now didn't matter. I was going to run around and play for the next hour or so. So play, and indeed sport, where, the, where the, we get the word from, is that sense of, of putting aside the serious stuff and going out and enjoying ourselves in freedom and in fun. And then finally, just on play, it can be spontaneous. I'm going to make a distinction here between play and sport in a minute, but it, it's spontaneous. A few years ago... When I was reading into this a little bit, uh, we were down in Devon and uh, we went to some sand dunes in Devon and I remember watching my three boys just as I sat in the sand dunes looking down 
And they just started playing spontaneously. And they were making up this game. And they were rolling around in the sand and just having fun and laughing. And I was laughing watching them. And it was just sheer expression of freedom and enjoyment and spontaneous. I watched the game slightly develop as it went on. And then we, I don't know, packed up our things and went back. I never saw them play that particular game again. But it was a very spontaneous enjoyment in the game. So that's play then. Let's then think about sport. Now, I'm not going to come up with the same list of sport, but I'm going to come up with, um, with a, a definition, if you like, of sport. If we can put this up. I got bored with my PowerPoint. That's why I did a little wheel there. I got fed up with them. Just So here we are. Sport is, and I've pulled out the key things. Again, you can engage with this, look at this at home, disagree with it, but I've got this out of a couple of different de- dictionaries putting it together. A regulated activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. I was at um, the Charlton training ground on Friday and some of the, the, the players were playing darts and I, just, I thought I'd test this out. So I was shouting out, is this a sport or a game? I was shouting out. I said, darts, oh, it's a game, Riff. Uh, snooker, a uh, bit of a debate there. That ended up a game as well, in their opinion. Fits in a little bit with this definition. Sport is, first of all, a regulated activity. In other words, there are rules. So it's not spontaneous. There have to be rules to make the sport happen. And the rules themselves actually don't make any sense outside of the game. I mean, let's take football as an example. We've got this size pitch. There's a little bit of variation how it has to be, how big it has to be, but generally there's the, there's the pitch, there's, there's white lines. You run around and you have to score goals. That's the basis to it. And the ball goes out. Well, then someone picks it up and throws it, throws it in. Well, hold on a minute. Can't I just carry on dribbling it around over this white line? No, 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 no. The rules say that when it goes over there, that's gone out. Oh, okay. And it's 11 aside. Well, we want to play with 13 players today. Well, you can't. The rules say 11. Well, we want 13. And then you're playing at some point, and then somebody picks the ball up and starts running with it. What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get down the other end. You can't do that. The rules say you can't. I know what we'll do. We'll invent another sport, and we'll call that rugby football. You have to have rules to make the sport work, but outside of the game, they're just nonsense. Physical exertion is part of sport. It's about exercise. It's about running around. You have to be fit to play it. That's why, I don't know, chess isn't a sport. Because there's no physical exertion there. Mental, of course. You know, they combine chess and boxing now, don't they? Have you heard about that? Anyway, that's another story. There's skill involved in sport. There has to be skill. It's not just this spontaneous play kind of, this is all right. Otherwise, nobody would go and watch it, would they? We all like to see people with these skills that are better than we are. Whether that's uh, kids in the school playground who are going to watch their professional team play because they've got skills that they haven't got, they'd like to have. Whether it's professional footballers looking at the really super elite playing in the World Cup. Whether it's a, a famous tennis player who likes to go and watch someone play football or rugby. It's an admiration, it's appreciation of the skills that they've got that we can only dream of having. And then fourthly, it needs to be competitive. Perhaps that comes back to my, it's not the taking part, it's the winning that counts. But it's competitive. One against one or a team against another team. 
a desire to win something, a trophy, or just for the, the glory of beating your local rivals, whatever it may be. And all of this is for entertainment. So that's a definition of sport. Next one. We did have trouble with the PowerPoint. One more. Sport is unnecessary, yet meaningful. I spoke earlier about the fact that play, and indeed sport, doesn't add to anything. It doesn't bring in the sheaves. It doesn't increase the... And I know we've got professional sport now, but at its purest, we don't actually need sport. But it is meaningful, and I'll give an example of this in a minute. It is meaningful. It does mean things in people's lives. That's why we get passionate about our local team that we support. Or we get passionate about how England do. Or we get passionate about watching Andy Murray playing tennis with a metal hip or whatever he's got now. There's meaning to it. It brings meaning to our lives. Some of you know that I was really privileged during um, the pandemic. You remember there was three months where there was no sport whatsoever. Anywhere in the world, I think. Really odd. Never happened before. And then they had Project Restart and football recommenced, because that's the Lord's game. We know that's the main one. And I was privileged to be part of the, of the players' bubble at the club at the time at Charlton three years ago. And I remember being in the changing room before this very odd game. There were no fans there. It was just a few staff and the two teams that were going to play each other. And I was in the changing room beforehand, and I was talking to one of the players. And I said, how, how strange is this? He said, yeah, it's a really odd experience. And people were watching it on their TVs at home, but there we were the only people there about to play this football match. And we had this conversation, and I said, because it doesn't really matter, does it, what we're doing, what you're doing? But it matters because it doesn't matter. Which, of course, is a nonsense statement, but we both knew what I was talking about. It was unnecessary it wasn't going to find a vaccine. It wasn't going to free up any hospital beds. It wasn't going to heal anybody. But it really was meaningful. It was meaningful for those players. It was meaningful for all the people sitting at home who for the next hour and a half, two hours, could forget about things. They could disport. They could move all the seriousness out of the way and get passionate as they watched their television and watched this football match. Unnecessary, yet meaningful, a bit like us. And there's the theology bit. God in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is complete, was complete in himself, was fully satisfied and enjoying who he was in himself. But in the greatest act of free will there's ever been, chose to create. Chose to create a world chose to create man and womankind. <clears throat> Unnecessary. We didn't add anything to who God was. He was complete without us. And yet, we are meaningful. There's meaning to our lives. Meaning in our relationships. Meaning in our conversations. Meaning in our work. Meaning in our faith, meaning in our worship. Which is why, of course, is why Jesus came from heaven and stepped down 
to us unnecessary creatures and brought that depth of meaning. We mean something to him, which is why Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the dead. And that is perhaps why, again, play around with this in your head, sports are necessary but meaningful. When we as human beings, who are also unnecessary and meaningful, partake in sport, I suggest there's a coming together of something very, very special there in creation. That we are joining in with kind of creative creation purposes as we live as unnecessary beings, but in a really meaningful way, play this sport and enjoy ourselves. That's enough theology for now, and you might want to go a bit deeper with that. What is sport then? What does the Bible have to say about sport? Well, uh, take that one off quickly. You're probably aware that we've got some sportsmen in the Bible. Uh, And I'm going to start off with um, Joseph, of course, who was uh, very well known for his tennis prowess. So if you can put this up. Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh. Genesis 41, 46. Thank you. Now, don't put it up yet, but did you know Jesus was good at football? Yep. Left-footed, put it up. He was left back in Jerusalem. <laughs> Luke chapter 2. And we're going to see one of my favorites in a minute. This is a cricketer in the Old Testament. Not only a cricketer, but we also know he was a wicketkeeper. Let's look at Elijah. He made loud appeals to the Lord and knocked over all the bars. I thank you. I'm here all night. Actually, they're not original to me. I nicked them out of a book, but I thought they were quite good. What does, what does the Bible actually say about sport then? Let's just put up a, a few of these quotes. It doesn't have a lot to say, and this is the shortest past part of my talk tonight. But here's 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. This is uh, Paul writing here. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now a slightly longer one, which you can unpack a little bit more. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's very clear in both of those that Paul has an understanding of sport. There we have some athletics. There we have some boxing. And it's a bit neutral, I suppose, his understanding of sport. He doesn't say sport is a good thing or is it a bad thing. He uses it as an analogy to make a greater point, really. Athletes compete for a crown, but there's a greater prize that we can all all, all get. Boxers fight the air, but we need to to make our bodies a a slave so that so when I preach, I I don't disqualify myself from the prize. Two other quick ones uh, from the New Testament. Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean a goal like in football, but it does mean an end, getting to the finishing line. I always used to think this was to do with athletics. When I read into it a little bit, it suggested it's actually to do with chariot racing. 
a big sport in those days. So he's, a lot, he's, he's using that as an analogy. You know, you forget what's behind. You forget the last bend. You forget whether you took that corner well or not. I want to get to the end of this race. And then my fourth example, the writer to the Hebrews, whoever that might have been, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. A cloud of witnesses. Those witnesses, of course, are are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, all of those great uh, great people of faith in the Old Testament. If you've ever been to Rome and seen the Colosseum, it was probably that kind of thing that, that uh, the writer of the Hebrews had in mind, some early form of the Olympic Games with, with thousands of people cheering on. I like to think as well as it being those, those Old Testament men and women of faith, but, but also those that have prayed for us. Our parents, our grandparents who've, who've been praying for us over the years. And since we're surrounded by those, let us persevere. Let's throw off things. If you're running a race, you don't carry things on your back, do you? You get rid of them. So Paul, so not Paul, so whoever write Hebrews, yeah, little slip there. I don't think it was Paul. Um, so the writer says, throw off those things. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Little word on sin, by the way. You probably know this, but the the Greek word most often used for sin in the New Testament is the word hamartia, which comes from a sporting analogy. Um, it's used for archery, that sense of trying to hit the target and falling short. So sin, we might think that next time we're in confession in church, sin is that falling short of the target. Anyway, slight digression. So there's four different uh, things that the Bible has to say about sport. Not a lot. Neither good nor bad, but there's something greater that, that the writers want us to grasp that's beyond, uh, beyond sport itself. Finally then, let's just look at this final section. How should we engage in sport, playing, watching, supporting? Next one, please. I know we often do this in church, but we do need to go back to creation and the fall. God created Everything good, everything very good. It was a very good world that he created. Created male and female in his image. Relationships were good. The land was good. He said to Adam, I want you to be creative. I want you to work the land, but I want you to be creative. Name all of these animals. So in creation itself was that sense of being creative of living in, in, in a good place, of working the land, and the land at this point would not be a land full of thistles and thorns and a horrible place to burn. It would have been a joy. Speaking with God in the call of the day, what a wonderful paradise place to think of. That's how it all began. But of course, we then get the fall. It then starts to go wrong. Hamartia comes in, sin, and the land is difficult to work, and the creative skills are not quite what they were. And so we find right at creation and the fall, and then I suggest in sport, where those tensions come in. Created as we are to enjoy ourselves, to play, 
to have good relationships, to do sport, but there's going to be that conflict, that tension, because it's marred, it's fallen, it's damaged. We may want to pick up on some of those things in our discussion um, in a few minutes' time. That's why perhaps we have greed within sport, why we have cheating within sport, where we have it's all about money within sport, where we have sports washing or whatever. Because that's, there's that tension in there between the goodness of creation, the enjoyment of sport, and the perversion and the damage and the marring of it as a consequence of the fall. But here's some verses, and this is my stuff that have really helped me. My brother wrote this verse in a little book he gave me some 30, 35 years ago, and it's always stuck with, stuck with me. 1 Corinthians 10, and it speaks in there about the Christian's freedom. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Does that include how we play sport? Well, whatever you do, for the glory of God. Romans 12, verse 1, next verse please. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our bodies as living sacrifice, true and proper worship. That isn't just talking about our workplace, isn't just talking about our sexuality. I suggest that's talking about sport as well. How we use our bodies in sport is an act of worship. Somebody who I think agreed with this would be Eric Liddell, if you can put up this quote. Eric Liddell won gold medal, 1924, Olympics, 400, 440 yards probably. Also a very good rugby player, played rugby for Scotland internationally. Uh, I think he played cricket as well. He said this, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. God made me fast. I'm sure he had to train to keep up the fitness, but he knew that God had made him one of the fastest men in the world. And so he ran. And what happened when he ran? Yeah, he won races, but he felt God's pleasure. Is that not worship? Is it not worship when we play sport with what God has given us and feel God's pleasure? I'm going to come back in a minute to playing sport, uh, but just one or two quick things about, um, about observing and watching sport. There's hooliganism in sport. We see it. And again, we might want to pick up on this in some of the Q&A. There's uh, racism, there's sexism. We see it going on around sport. Uh, I still remember, and I don't know which of my sons it was, being on a touchline for an under eight, under nine game and watching them play. And then one of the boys in the other team went down in a tackle or something and his dad go onto the field, pick him up and shout in his face, what are you doing? If you want to play football, you've got to get up and get on with it. You're weak. 
You need to get up and play football. And I remember standing there thinking, that is awful. I was tempted, but not too tempted, to go up and say, what do you think you're doing? But I would have come home with a black eye, probably. But it was awful to watch it. How are we when we watch sport on the terraces, joining in with the songs, shouting at the ref? I know members of staff, I know referees who've had death threats. And it's a football match. What's all that about? But I can point the finger at that father on the touchline, but I point the finger at myself as well. A few years ago, 30-odd years ago, uh, I went to a football match. Um, it was a Charlton game up at Old Trafford, and I was standing next to a Christian, and uh, I was joining in some of the songs, not all of the songs, but some of the songs, uh, but I was joining in with We Hate Palace, We Hate Palace, because that's what you did as a Charlton fan. And I remember him saying to me, he's saying, um, do you realise what hate means? I went, no. That means a desire to want to kill somebody. And I went, I don't, I'm not going to kill anyone, do I? just don't like Palace very much. Well, you should be singing it. I won't be singing it. I went, yeah, okay, I carried on singing it. Until three or four years afterwards, I don't know why we were telling Man United fans that we hated Palace, but why does that go on? Anyway, a few years later, there was a Charlton Crystal Palace game, and afterwards, I remember coming away from it, and I saw a Charlton fan cross the road, walk up to a Crystal Palace fan who was minding his own business, walking along, holding the hand of this six- or seven-year-old boy, and I saw him walk up to this guy, look him in the eye, and say something like, you effing palace scum. At that point, I changed my mind. Now, you may say that's a massive overreaction, Matt, but I stopped singing We Hate Palace at that point because I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't want to be a part of that, yeah, hatred and wanting to call someone scum. I don't know what the effect was on that six- or seven-year-old boy. Don't get me wrong, I still sing some other songs, I still get passionate. Whatever we do, eat, drink, whatever we do, watch our team, cheer on our team, do it all to the glory of God. Final point, and then we will have a tea break. Parable of the Talents, Matthew 25. We all are familiar with the Parable of the Talents and Originally, of course, it speaks about money, but we use it. That's where we get the word talent from in terms of the gifts and talents that God has given us. I have been privileged over the last 22 years of chaplaincy to, to pray with probably hundreds now of professional footballers before small games and really important games in front of thousands and thousands of fans. I've been privileged to pray with Olympic athletes on the morning of a big Olympic final, the pinnacle of their lives only comes around every four years. Also been privileged to pray with each of my boys before they run out for whatever rugby game, cricket, football, athletics meeting. And I always pray the same thing, whether they're an Olympic athlete or my seven-year-old son. Something along the lines of, God, you've given X a gift and talent to play sport today. Bless them as they go out 
to use that talent. May they enjoy playing today. May the people watching enjoy the way that they play. Lord, may it bring joy and pleasure to you as they play today. And as they use these gifts and talents for your glory, so multiply them as well, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I will continue praying that, I hope, for my grandchildren and my (laughs) great-grandchildren. And I encourage you to think about that yourselves with your own family, children and sport as well.